0: the other way around, so this is very disorienting for me. Uh, It's a privilege to be with you, uh, Rob. I'm so glad to hear that your humor has not changed, brother. Uh, I first preached here in the spring of 2000. Uh, I was a first-year seminary student at Gordon-Conwell, and for some reason, uh, Rick and Tim felt like it was something that would be appropriate for me to come and preach to you all. You didn't throw tomatoes then. I'm hopeful that you won't throw tomatoes now. But you all are a dear congregation to me. Um, My very first sermon preached was to you all. And you have to believe in God's sovereignty if you allow something like that to happen. (laughs) You have to believe that he is at work. I spoke just two weeks ago to someone and told them that the Wheatons were the very first people that I had met in Boston. Um, And so you all are close to the heart. So Rob, Mike, Chris, you're dear to me. Uh, We have been through many things together. It's a privilege to come and preach to you. Uh, If you think that my accent is still strong, it's true, I'm from the south, Newton, Massachusetts, (laughs) is south of you all. Uh, Imagine what it was like 23 years ago, Um, have mercy. Let me read this scripture passage to you. Let me invite you to stand for the reading of God's word, if that's all right. Maybe out of turn, but I think it will be okay. Our scripture passage today is found in the book of Corinthians, the first book, the first chapter, and the first nine verses, verses one through nine of 1 Corinthians 1. Paul God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Please join me in prayer. Father, we bring our hearts and our minds uh, before your word. Father, you are the one who promised that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword, that it is able to pierce to the very core of our hearts, dividing our intentions from our actions, revealing before you even our thoughts. Father, we praise you and thank you that you are a God who attends to us so personally. We praise you and thank you that you are a God who cares. Father, you have said that we are like the grass of the fields, that we are here today and we are gone tomorrow, but you have said that your word will endure forever. Lord Jesus, when you came, you said that you came and you fulfilled the word. You didn't change even a stroke of your word. So Father, we come before your word and we ask you, would you please search us? Would you please speak to us? Father, would you please give us encouragement? Would you please remind us who you are and what you have done so that we might willingly listen to you? Father, I thank you for the women and the men, the girls and the boys of this congregation. Father, I thank you that you are faithful beyond measure. Father, I thank you that you know each and every one of us and you know how you will use a guest preacher and your word preached to get after our own hearts. And so, Father, we come and we bring them before you. Father, for those who are with us today who have yet to put their faith and trust in you, we pray that you would show yourself a God who is merciful and and, and gracious, uh, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, who forgives iniquities and sins and transgressions, but who will by no means clear the guilty. So, Lord Jesus, we pray that we would run to you quickly, even as Rob has already prayed for us, that our repentance, even as we hear your word preached, would be your kindness being generated uh, in us, that our repentance would be a response of your kindness, and that we would run to you. And Father, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to run to the table, to come and to have our faith fed by the gift that you have given us in your table where we proclaim the death and the resurrection of our Savior. Father, we're asking you to do a lot. We know that you are faithful beyond measure. And we thank you and we praise you. And it's in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Well, I didn't prepare this sermon for you in one sense. In another sense, I did, but don't think that I think that you are the church in Corinth. Uh, Those of you who know the church in Corinth uh, know that the church in Corinth was a mess. In another sense, I do want you to think we, we are a lot like the church in Corinth. We need to think about what Paul has to say to the church in this city that is so important in the world of the time and is so important to Paul and is so important to God. In that sense, I want you to think that you are the church in Corinth. I'm preaching this sermon this afternoon, so you've got quick opportunity to get my phone numbers from the elders and you can send me your opinions of it if you want to try to shape it for the afternoon. But today, I'm going to preach this as we start our series in 1 Corinthians. Maybe you were trying to figure out what you ought to read next in the scripture. And so maybe you would take this sermon and jump off of it and jump into these letters of First and Second Corinthians. I had initially, when, when asked to title this sermon, titled it Meet the Church. And in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, as I dug into it more and more this week... If I had the chance to correct your orders of worship that were before you, I would call it foundations for biblical confrontation. What the Apostle Paul does in this this introduction to the Corinthian people, to the believers of the Corinthian church, is exactly like the Proverbs that you read. Remember, you heard Rob read, blessed are those who call out the wicked, right? Right? This idea, as Proverbs 27 tells us, that as iron sharpens iron, so does one believer sharpen another. And here we see the foundations of what biblical confrontation look like as we enter into this book of Corinthians. Corinthians was a very important place. Corinthians was planted by the Apostle Paul in Acts 18, The reason it's an important place is because during that planting in Acts 18, a fight breaks out, and a name is mentioned there, Galio, who is a proconsul there in Corinth. And that fight in Acts 18 gives us one of the most sure dates that we have in the entire New Testament. Isn't that amazing? It was circa 51 A.D., This is the city where Paul meets Priscilla and Aquila, the Jews who were expelled from Rome and who had fled to Corinth. This is the place, the city where Paul proclaims the gospel in the synagogues and as he is kicked out and rejected and as Sosthenes is beaten in Acts 18, this is the city where Paul says, from now on, I am taking the gospel to the Gentiles. For the majority of us in this room, this is us. Unless you are from a Jewish heritage, this is us. Praise God for this city. Praise God for the Apostle Paul. Praise God for how he works. But Corinth was also an important city geographically and economically. The influence of the church at Corinth would be broad and wide. This was an important place. Corinth is located about 45 miles to the west of Athens in Greece. It's right off this spit of land called an Isthmus. And unless you're in sixth grade geography, you have no idea what it is. And it's a narrow, thin piece of land that has a sea on one side and a sea on the other. And so this Corinthian church was in a town where they were able to use both the land bridge... And they were able to truck ships from one ocean all the way to the other sea. And in each way, they were able to get money and support their economy. It was a wealthy place. It was very influential because of the trade that came through there. And so Corinth is an important place. But Corinth had real issues. The issue is less about the division among the people in Corinth as it is their distancing as a church from the Apostle Paul, who planted them. This idea in Corinth is that because of their importance, because of their presence geographically, economically, influentially in the world at that time, the culture had also influenced the church of Corinth. There was incredible diversity. Listen, we ought to pray more and more for the diversity of our congregations, both ethnically and socioeconomically in every way that we can culturally. That's a good thing. When the kingdom of God is described, it's described as men and women from every tongue and tribe and nation and people. But do you know what comes with diversity is a recognition of our cultural sins that clash with one another, and here we see that in corinth if you were to read the book of corinthians you would see that they valued wisdom economic success sexual freedom i had one pastor in my history and i remember one staff meeting where we talked we were talking about what we were going to preach and this was 25 years ago before i moved to new england And this pastor by the name of Scotty Smith said, you know something, there's no way in the world I'm ever going to preach the book of 1 Corinthians, not in the first 30 years of my ministry. (laughs) Because when you look at it, you begin to go, wow, this is a scary book. It is a book where the church had believed that they had become spiritually better than the Apostle Paul who had helped plant them. They believed themselves to have spiritually arrived. But in so many ways, what we will see is that they held on to so many pagan beliefs that they brought into it. But the last bit of introduction I want to give you is the importance of Corinth to Paul and likewise to God. Here, this church that was situated in such an influential city would be a church that was in a secular and a powerful and an influential place. And this church needed to be reminded of the gospel clearly because of its location, because of its importance, because of the temptation to carry on so much into Christianity from our past. The book of Corinth allows us, as Gentiles who have come to faith, also to ask ourselves, what might we have carried over from our past into our faith? How might God use Corinthians to confront you and me and to continue to purify our faith? This book of Corinthians is foundational for an understanding of biblical confrontation. This is where the Apostle Paul sets us up to be able to listen. I don't know if you know anything about martial arts. I know nothing about martial arts. But somewhere in my kitchen, I was talking about getting stronger. And you know what Siri does in our kitchens. Siri listens to us, doesn't she? And Siri was listening to me, and the next time I opened up YouTube, I found a, a YouTube about the perfect stance for martial arts for strength. And I was like, wow, that's really weird. I had no idea. And it's called the horse stance. I could try to show it to you, but I, I'm not very good at it. Uh, I can hold it for about 20 seconds before my legs start to quiver. But the reality of this horse stance is that from this stance, you are most capable to absorb whatever comes at you. It's very firm and it's very stable. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing for the Corinthians here. My wife and I love to do pre-marriage counseling and a little bit of marriage counseling when we have the opportunity. And one of the things that we always tell the folks that come to us is when you fight, go back to your vows and fight there. Fight according to your vows, the vows that you gave each other. Go to those vows. Remember how you swore to give your life to each other and fight there. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. And very quickly, I want to show you the two bits of foundation that he gives these Corinthian Christians and that are for us today. The first is God's grace and the second is God's faithfulness. I want you to see that the Apostle Paul says, you Corinthians are recipients of God's grace. And you Corinthians are recipients of our God's faithfulness. In verses one and two and three that are before you, you see that in each of those verses, the Apostle Paul uses the pronoun our, right? He says that this is our shared history. He says it there when he says that he is an apostle called by the will of God um, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. He is saying, you remember our history. You remember how they beat Sosthenes. I'm coming to you because we shared that time together. In verse 2, he goes on to talk about our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and our Lord that what he is saying to the Corinthian Christians, he's saying, look, you have been set apart and you've been called to be holy and we are called to live holy lives to our God, our shared God, the Apostle Paul says, our Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs, everyone who has ever put their faith in Christ, who is part of his body, and ours. Paul is connecting himself to them. And finally, he says in verse 3, grace to you and peace from our Father and and from our Father. Grace and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying that these Corinthians are recipients of God's grace. Look at it really quickly from 4 to 7, right? He says that this grace was given them in Jesus Christ by God. That these Corinthians have been saved by grace through faith. That's what he's reminding the Corinthians of. Before he confronts them, he's reminding them who they are. Recipients of God's grace, right? He says that you receive this grace in all speech and all knowledge. What is he doing? He's demonstrating to the Corinthians that God's grace gives them everything that they need. To the Corinthians, speech and knowledge is a big thing, the basis of wisdom. They would, this area of Corinth was known for having people come and give these, these eloquent messages, and people would pay them to hear their messages. They would give them money. One of the things that they're going to find out in the book of Corinth is that they were mad that Paul was a tent maker because it meant that he wasn't wise enough to be a sophisticated speaker. He couldn't get his own money from it. But the Apostle Paul says, look, you've been given all grace in speech and in knowledge. And God confirmed the testimony that we gave you of Jesus by giving you every spiritual gift you've needed. He went on to say, you are not lacking anything. Rob read the list of spiritual gifts that the Apostle Paul is going to later tell them in 1 Corinthians 12. Go back and look at it. And then you, of course, know 1 Corinthians 13, that passage on love. The apostle tells this church, listen, you're not lacking anything. And you are going to have what you need as you wait the return of Jesus. The apostle Paul said this all the time to people. In Romans chapter 8, he said, look, If he's given you Jesus, how much is he not going to give you everything that you need? Where are you today? Do you wonder if God is going to give you what you need to be sustained in your faith? The apostle Paul starts this foundation for biblical confirmation, reminding them that they are sustained in Jesus Christ. He actually says that they're going to be sustained as guiltless. This is an amazing thing for Paul to say to the Corinthians because he's about to call them arrogant. He's about to say to them that you only care about being rich, and you are are filled with gluttony. You run to the Lord's Supper, and those who get there first eat the most, and those who can't come can't even get what they want. And then he says sexual immorality is rampant in you. You still are tempted toward visiting the, the, the prostitutes at the temple, There is gross sexual immorality that is explained later on in chapters 5 and 6. And even in light of that, the Apostle Paul says, You are going to be sustained as guiltless. That's what he says to the Corinthians. This is amazing. He says, God has guaranteed the testimony that we told you by giving you the gifts. It's an economic word that the Corinthians would have learned, but he also said he has guaranteed yourselves that you will be sustained to the end. Do you see that the Apostle Paul is giving them this horse stance of stability? It's pretty good, isn't it? It's not very good, don't look. So that he can begin to confront them on the ways in which the norms of the culture in which they live have begun to leach into their faith, thus compromising the gospel. But in verse 9, we see the second thing that he gives these Corinthians, which is a declaration of God. God is the verb, the subject. Rather, of all the verbs that come before, God is the one who has provided them everything in Christ Jesus. God is the provider. God is the one who makes them stable. And here in verse 9, in case they doubted, and in case you and I doubt, he says to them, and in turn, this word says to us, God is faithful. Stop. Think about that for a minute. Think about the attributes of God that you know. Merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. If you haven't memorized Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the very name that God gives himself, Yahweh, the name that Rob led off the entire service with, and as he describes himself with those attributes, one of the best words to understand them rolled together is God is faithful. The one who calls you, he said, the one who has called you will sustain you. Let me ask you a question. Would you and I be more apt to enter into conversations of confrontation if such confidence in our identity preceded it. If someone came to you and says look I really need to confront you on something and you go well uh, alright but the person says but before I confront you on something I want to remind you of who you are. We're all scared to death of what other people think of us aren't we? You know you're a preacher who's not very good. You get up there and in 23 years we can't really tell you if you've grown at all. You're distracting Your thoughts are all over the place, you know, any of that. But here the Apostle Paul goes, let me tell you who you are. You are the recipient of our God's grace. And his grace will sustain you to the end. You will be found guiltless. And your God is faithful. Now will you listen to me? Because I've got some hard things to say. Two takeaways, and we're done. What I would like you and me to consider is the magnitude of being saved by grace that must necessarily be followed by a life of holy obedience. Church, if you will read the book of Corinthians, you will find out I could have been a member of that church. I could have belonged there. I know my own heart. But what you will see is the Apostle Paul says over and over, listen, you have been saved by grace, but it by necessity means that that salvation must be followed by holy obedience. In verse 2, the apostle Paul says, look, this is to the church in Corinth, to those who are sanctified, full stop, they're set apart. They They are taken out. They are made holy by the work of Jesus Christ. He said that church is called to be saints. This church, Redeemer Press, CTK Newton, we are called to be holy. Integral to Paul's theology is this idea that we are already sanctified and that we are being sanctified. This theological premise that is so important to our faith to understand we are already something and we are not yet that thing. It is both and. And it is the beauty of God's faithfulness that allows you to hold on to that. And that allows you to believe that to the end of your life, God is still at work in you. He has not stopped working at you. Not stopped working with you. Not stopped working in you. Not stopped perfecting you. Paul later tells the Corinthians in chapter 3 of the second book of Corinthians that as we gaze upon God, Christ as we ca- get, as we consider the glory of the cross and it's the same word that he uses in 1 Corinthians when he says that we see in a mirror dimly we gaze dimly but he says when you gaze upon the cross that place where the love of God and the justice of God kiss that that's the place where we, God's people, are changed. That's where transformation happens, when we realize Christ died for me because God loved me, not so that God will love me. Sisters and brothers, the confidence of that foundation will allow you to be confronted about aspects of your faith, that you and I need to be confronted about. How do we, the students, this is for you. This is for those of you for whom social media is overwhelming and draws you in. This is for you, teenagers, who have to push out pornography because it is fed to you. How in the world do you embrace a biblical sexual ethic? How do you do it? By looking at the cross. By seeing Jesus on the cross. His death and resurrection for you because God loved you enables us to be transformed. Jesus has given us everything. And this is a necessity for the church in Corinth to hear and it's also a necessity for us to hear church. Because we live in a very similar secular environment The last takeaway is this. Are we open to confrontation regarding our Christian witness and practice? I promise I'm not going to push the pulpit out of the way and say now, this is what I want to tell you, Redeemer. (laughs) I don't know enough about your life together. I don't know enough about what it is that you all as a congregation struggle with together. But you know, You know the relationships that are filled with tension. You know the anxiety that marks you. You know the places where God is at work and you all, Redeemer, together. Are you open to confrontation regarding your Christian witness and practice? Listen, this book of Corinthians is in the Bible. What does that mean? (laughs) That means that in the course of God's church age he wanted us to consider the Corinthian church because we're a lot more like it than we are unlike it. It is highly likely that there is some sort of importing our cultural norms into our communal life together. And if we look at Corinthians, that way, there will be a humble awareness that it's highly likely that there are some things that God wants to confront me about, us about, the church about. What if such confrontation was rooted with such assurance? You, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, are recipients of our God's grace, full Stop. And our God is faithful to you. Full stop. What if such confrontation was rooted on such assurance? 1 Corinthians is not an easy book. Being sanctified is not easy. Ask anybody that has as much white hair as me or more. It's not easy. It's hard. It's painful. It hurts. But with this assurance of who we are as recipients of God's grace and that our God is faithful, will we, sisters and brothers in the faith, be willing to be confronted by the words of this book. I hope that some of you will enjoy reading this this season. You're welcome to listen online, but you've got plenty of preaching in your life, so uh, do what you will. It's a privilege to be with you. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this book that is in front of us. We are so thankful for the scripture And, Father, whether it's through the book of Corinthians or through other means, we know that you are faithful to sanctify your people. Paul says to the Philippians that he is confident in this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here that they would be confident in knowing that you are going to perfect their faith that you are the one who is going to make yourself known, and you are the one that is at work in them, that sanctification is a process of your grace, Father. It's you at work in us. And Father, I pray that we would depend on your grace that we have received, and we would depend on your faithfulness as we allow your word to confront us and to search us. Father, I thank you for this time together, and as we proceed to this supper together, I ask that you would feed our faith, that you would give us everything that we need, that your name would be glorified. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray all these things. Amen. Well, I don't know how uh, different the preaching is, but it will certainly be the case that I won't do this Lord's Supper the right way.